0: You are now listening to Node Chats, where we discuss all things relating to current cybersecurity trends and delve into how technology innovation is reshaping the world we live in. And now, your host, Neil Gernhill. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Node Chats. On today's episode, we're going to do a deep dive into pen testing, looking at both the good, the bad, and what it looks like in 2020. I'm delighted to have a guest with me today. Uh, I've got Sean from CBI Secure, uh, who is a Senior Vice President. Um, Sean, welcome. Thank you for taking the time.
1: Thanks for having me, Neil. I'm uh, looking forward to conversations here today.
0: Yeah, great. So what I'd like to do is just for the, the folks who don't uh, like know who you are, can you give us a bit of an intro? about yourself, your background and the organization?
1: Yeah, sure. So I work for a company called CBI. We're a business that's been in existence for the last 25 years. The best way I describe our company is cybersecurity isn't something we do. It's it's all we do. And we've been doing it for a very long time. I'm our, our senior vice president of our security programs division. So that entails ownership of three different teams. I run our strategic programs team, our digital forensics and incident response team, and then one of the teams near and dear to my heart, our our red team, which we refer to as our advanced testing services team. Uh, I've been at CBI for 18 years. The way I describe myself is just a really extremely passionate resource as it pertains to cybersecurity. Surprisingly, uh, you know, 20, 25 years later since I got into this thing, I'm still excited as, as the day I got into the industry, and now I'm living the dream job, right? I get uh, to run a group of ethical computer hackers, and uh, you know, cutting cutting line, uh, cutting edge stuff. So it's uh, yeah. it's great great stuff.
0: That's awesome. Thank you. What a great introduction. And, and I think nothing better that. One of the things I want to get a feel on in your time in the industry, so pen testing is something that has been around, it's probably been around a long time, but we hear more and more about it. Where have you seen it come and go? Like, where has it gone from? If you were to take it back 10 years or maybe 15 years, (laughs) how, I know, right? Like, how has that landscape changed?
1: Considerably, I think is the easy answer, you know, the, uh, the evolution of testing, you know, we, we came from a world, and even before we, we officially formed our red team 12 years ago, we were doing this in some ad hoc capacity. But back then, you know, we're talking about simple systems with limited to no connectivity at that stage um, to a drastic transformation to a, a digital pursuit where everything is connected, everything is in the cloud, and, and we're so reliant on technology in, in so many different ways. Um, you know, back in the day when we were first doing this, it was like shooting fish in a barrel. It really was. You could find SQL injection vulnerabilities on, on any application or website you basically visited. You know, simple e-commerce hacking tricks of, of discounting items in the cart. It was it was the heyday back then. And, and the cultural perspective was totally different back then, too. You know, from the mainstream hacker community, it was a lot of just uh, notoriety. You know, yeah. the, the attacks were really built on, on establishing some credibility in this underground community. Community, but my now how, how that has changed, right? So it's it's a purely monetary driven uh, industry and threat landscape that we're dealing with now. So, you know, we've seen the increase of, of things like obviously social engineering attacks and application security attacks, and the and and the industry is red teamers, we've adopted and, and had to be agile as well, right? So we you know have adhered to more of a purple team te- uh, penetration testing methodology that we can talk about later, but really just doing a better job of understanding what the real probable risks are for an organization because it's um, it's, it's nearly impossible to identify 100% of your risks. So let's focus in on those areas that have probable attack scenarios and we can make some meaningful you know, impact and improving our security
0: posture there. Yeah, that, that, I mean, thank you for that. That's such a, a good uh, journey to start this conversation off on. I think, well, one thing that you, you probably could add to that as well is just the reliance that companies have now on e-commerce applications or online, you know, the interconnected world. Could you imagine, I mentioned this on one of my other podcasts, could you imagine lockdown without the internet?
1: Oh, it's crazy. It's yeah. absolutely crazy. The application, and, and one thing that was important, too, uh, Verizon's got a good report, their DBIR report that comes out every year. It highlighted that point specifically. It talked about how application attacks are on the rise. They're being used as an attack vector time after time, and it's because we, we need them. We're reliant on them in, in so many different ways, that, from mobile apps to web apps to healthcare apps. I mean, it's, uh, it's an amazing uh, threat landscape that's out yeah, there. Yeah,
0: what a journey you've been on there and to see like the, it's sort of like the birth of this from, from really working very much corporations in little silos of interconnected sort of communications and machines and now the World Wide Web is an interconnected Internet of Things. You know, it, it, as you say, I think you've seen it go from low-level attacks, more sophisticated attacks, but also as, a, as a, a global reliance has just increased so much from 12 years ago to where we are today.
1: Look at, look at IoT, and, and that might be a rudimentary example, but um, you know, one of the stores here that's known as a hardware store in the United States is Home Depot or Lowe's. It's like the last place on earth you'd expect to see digital devices, but now you walk through these places and it's nothing, everything's wired, your, your hot water tank, your yeah. thermostat, your light bulbs, yeah. all of these things. And, and when you talk about what that attack um, probability looks like, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people say, well, yeah, I don't have too much to worry about. But there is realistic attacks going on. I know there was one a couple years ago where uh, a malicious adversary group hacked into a casino as a result of an IoT device on their fish tank. So in their big fish tank in in the auditorium or in the lobby, they had this little IoT device that the bad guys broke into from there, bridged the gap and basically compromised the majority of the,
0: of the casino. So once you're in, you're in. Real so,
1: attacks. Yeah,
0: exactly. So you're on that network, you can really you can really do some bad. Yeah, I and mean, you would never like a business owner, a casino owner would never in there would ever think that would be part of the fish tank installation that you have to think about the cyber security linked to the aquarium. It's
1: crazy, isn't
0: it? it it's crazy. Uh, what are some of the common misgivings? So like, w- when you're speaking with, with businesses, I guess the most common misgiving is that we're totally secure. Um, no. What are you finding is, is sort of common misgivings when it comes to your sort of pen testing services?
1: Yeah, a couple of things. On the side of the interpretation of our services, you know, one of the things that we we see a lot is that there's an assumption that the team is built on a bunch of reformed hackers. They were bad guys at one point and they turned good. Uh, that's not the case for us. I know in other, in other organizations you might see some of that, but um, everybody that we have, you know, we got a lot of top secret security clearances, we're ethical, we're moral, our, 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 our livelihood and integrity depends on it. Um, the other thing that we see is a misconception is that uh, a red team or a penetration test is going to find hundred percent of the threats and the risks that are out there. Uh, that's just not the case. It's just not possible. It's just not feasible, um, unless you have an open checkbook that you can bring a team in for months or years on end. You're not going to. You're not going to accomplish that. So the goal there is, uh, you know, establishing a good sense of expectations and requirements with the re- uh, with the customer, as to uh, what we're going to be able to accomplish and what the value proposition is. Um, and then overall, you know, the, the interpretation from the customer side in regards to uh, penetration testing and and the value derivative that you're going to see um you see a lot of organizations without an understanding of what we're doing all right so they think that we're going to come in and, and do a bunch of automated scanning uh, and we're gonna it, it's not you know the value with automation is very limited in the pen testing world so you really need a team of, of uh you know sophisticated and advanced uh, attackers and hackers that have the capability to use manual oriented approach and um, Last year, so in 2019, I, I, I'm a big data guy. I like data analytics. I like big data modeling. We looked at all the engagements that we, we leveraged last year, which is about 200 or so engagements that we had last year. And roughly 83% of all the critical vulnerabilities, the ones where you kind of want to light your hair on fire and run out of the building because it's, it's kind of that bad, 83% of those could only have been identified via a manual approach. There's no tool scanner, wow. you know, nothing. That's, so companies need to have that that and, and that understanding that, um, uh, number one, the manual approach is where it's at. Number two, it's going to take a little bit more time and, and possibly money to, to leverage that. But that's where the strong value derivative is, as you can
0: see. And, and is it always digital related, that when you're doing your pen test, that is it typically the compromises that you're most looking for are related to digital flaws or digital flaws, or is its it is – it- is it everything is it outside of whatever you can find like however and wherever the question. crown jewels are like what is it what is the typical pen test one how long does it take cause you mentioned time and two like what are you looking for is it the digital crown jewels is it the you know just as, as far of the many layers you can get into what, what, what are you doing? Such
1: a great question, especially coming off our last conversation is, um, where do we focus our efforts with the finite time that we have? Right? So, and generally to answer your question, it ranges as far as level of effort. You know, some engagements are two weeks. We just wrap one up for a big global manufacturing company that took about six months with about six consultants. Wow. Um, But overall, regardless of the size of the company, Neil, you got to leverage the same pursuit of what it is that we're after. We call that threat modeling. All right. It's kind of an often used term, almost more than blockchain. I hate buzz keyword kind of thing. But anyways, threat modeling does have it does have some some relation here. What we're talking about, it, it sounds like a fancy term, but when you boil it down. What is it that a malicious adversary would be going after in your organization and what techniques, tactics, and procedures will they use to go after that thing? So think about, you know, maybe from a manufacturing company uh, who's got a lot of, you know, take an automotive company. um, One of their risks based on that threat model is ransomware, right? So ransomware could interrupt the availability, cause loss of revenue and the millions of dollars per hour, right? So the steps that an attacker is going to use to get ransomware into your environment is somewhat prescriptive. So we're going to emulate that attack scenario and that attack path. And that's where we're going to get a lot of value from. Um, So when you look at the threat model for most organizations, you're focused in on availability, intellectual property, and credibility and and public relations as well. So those scenarios are are things that we'll flush out ahead of time. And, And sometimes what's crazy too, Neil, is we ask companies, we're like, you know, so what's your biggest risk? And and there's this this momentary pause of silence, and and you're they're like, well, we're not really sure. You know, why don't you walk
0: us through what? Yeah. The you're speaking to, like
1: yeah, true. So uh, that threat modeling goes a long ways in in helping to refine, uh, getting the best value that you can. Because that's it's that, all about probability.
0: Yeah, and and I guess that's why it's so hard to automate because. Like the digital risk or, or risk in general had so many unique layers to it from one business to the next.
1: Correct. And I think what organizations should know as well, too, a lot of pen testing groups feel that, you know, when we we work our way through an environment, we infiltrate, we move laterally, we escalate our privileges. Oftentimes, companies or other competitors will assume that once you get this established high-level privileged account, like a domain admin, that the game's over. For us… The game is just starting because the bad guys aren't going to stop at just gaining access to this high privileged account. They're going to do stuff with it. What are they going to do? They're going to look at your ERP systems. They're going to look at the financial data. They're going to monetize the attack. And so customers should understand that you need to have this objective oriented approach that goes beyond just gaining access to domain admin. Follow that realistic attack path.
0: Wow. Yeah. Then you get to really look at what the impact could be. You know, it's from, it's from compromise to catastrophic ending really correct like how bad could this affect you on a Friday afternoon in your busiest hour your busiest period you know?
1: end of month uh, you yeah, know kind of yeah, yeah. that's that's on how we, it goes
0: on the, on the insurance side certainly in our cyber claims we see we're seeing more sophistication in they love the, the, the bad guys once they're in unlike as you mentioned in the early days I remember when I was developing websites and involved in that side of things that we would see SQL injection, which is just a total screaming sound that you've been compromised and you've got a problem. We, we know, how we've managed to get in. That Then, as you said, that's now moved from or moved into organised crime. Uh-huh. Organised crime are the absolute opposite. They want to sit there silent. They want to sit there just sitting and watching, and as you say, looking for the. The, the area to which they can have the most financial gain and cause
1: you the most disruption. It's, it. it's so, all yeah. about the financial gain now. And that same principle, the dwell time that the attackers are taking and then, and then the time that they're spending and truly understanding your environment is greater now than it ever has been, especially with ransomware. What we've seen, we saw, a, not a cool, I won't say a cool example. I know what you mean, like, we do that. I, yeah. I know what you mean, like... Yeah, we do. had a weird, you know, the well, we well, well, interesting well, course,
0: story.
1: Yeah. 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 Where a customer experienced a ransomware attack, but as we went through some of the analytics, we found that the attacking group had been in there for like two weeks, and we think that they were in there for that long because they wanted to figure out how their backups were working oh, wow. um, and, and inject themselves into that backup scenario as well so they could get as much impact as possible. So,
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a bit – we would say that on the claim side as well, but when we're seeing when, – when post claims we know, we see where when it happened, how they got in, where they got in. And it's, uh, yeah, it's very sophisticated. It's always Friday afternoon. It's always, they can, uh, invoice manipulation is very big at the moment on, on the crime front, so they will sit there to identify within the network who's the, the responsible person, who's sending the invoices, what payments are going where and when, or alternatively. Crazy. And, yeah, like, it's, it's, uh... That's why your external network or your perimeter, once they're in that perimeter, we're finding on the claim side, they're, you know, they just, they, they sit there dormant nearly just, just waiting for pass. And I think it's a, very you know, so it's not, I think once you're compromised often, when you find out about it, as you say, it's two weeks, three weeks. It's not straight away like it used to be, where it was very disruptive. Yeah. You know, you'd get an alert from somewhere. Uh, and that's, that's, uh, Yeah. It's a scary, it's a scary place to be. What, um, what types of businesses should be considering getting pen tests in your opinion? What
1: types of businesses? Oh boy. That's a good question. Um, The right answer is everybody. I think uh, today, I think it really is, you know, when you see the impact of these attacks against the SMB space, Mm -hmm. the small to medium sized businesses, it's more prevalent now than it ever has been.
0: Um, And I think to to add to that point is we, when we get asked, yeah, who should buy cyber insurance? It used to be that you could identify businesses that would have high levels or high exposure, mainly through privacy. Like just, just the integrated world, the reliance on, on infrastructure to transact business and, and the way they can be leveraged in the way that we've mentioned. Yeah, we, we now sell cyber insurance to everybody. Like that's awesome. Industry classes, I think it's uh, – yeah, any, anybody that's made the transition from non-digital to digitally enabled, which 99% of businesses have, really should look at their perimeter for when it comes to pen testing and really should consider buying an insurance policy because definitely those two landscapes and those two pillars like they could definitely have a positive outcome should they want fall victim or two want to avoid falling a victim and we would certainly as an insurer would certainly reward and reduce premium for anyone that documents to us that they've had services such as yours That's great you know big big thumbs up we uh because we we do scans of external networks and we do some some cyber consultancy with with our insurance at a very high level we look for breach credentials when they're buying a the product from us but there is that element that, that 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 only goes so far when to really get into the the grips of it to give us true reassurance that they have taken us very seriously certainly using a pen test and getting a Report off the back of it is t- tremendously useful for us as underwriters as
1: well. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. You know,
0: I've seen more, and
1: I'm not just saying this to say this, but I have absolutely seen more small to medium sized business companies ask questions about cybersecurity insurance policies and get those policies. So,
0: yeah, it's great buy. It's cheap right now. They
1: just see their, they see their colleagues, they see their peers, they see news headlines. And, you know, back in the day, Neil, it was like, uh, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, there was a sense of, of of, of, of in the cybersecurity world, that we had to sell this based on like fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And I hated that strategy, and I think most everybody does. It's not the case anymore, right? There is so much substance and news evidence and everything that that's really driven the entire lands the entire market space with all industry verticals in mind towards uh, cybersecurity and getting more mature. So
0: yeah. well, I got else, into this. You, so you guys, mainly folks on the business side, you don't do consumer, right? No, no consumer
1: on our end. Not to say that I don't get inundated with requests from my friends and family on a, on a daily or weekly basis, but
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: my answer is always two-factor authentication. Yeah. Right. <laughs> my parents like, what can I do to protect my two-factor authentication?
0: You're always two-factor. Two-factor always.
1: That's but, you know, from a from a from a um, an understanding of, of what work we do in the smp versus the smb versus enterprise space uh, it's it's almost literally split right down the middle about 45 50 percent of our customers are smb and the other 50 percent are you know as, as big as fortune 10 fortune 100 yeah. um, and that's that's challenging i'll be honest with you it's challenging to be able to build a pricing model that is um cost effective for the smb space but still profitable for us you know but we found that balance over the, the years of doing
0: this yeah, congrats, congratulations on that because i think you make a very valid point that we used to only get pen test reports of very large clients and normally that was a contract requirement that they had to go through some sort of pen test or they've been in an event they fixed it thought they fixed it but they needed some external verification now we we we, uh we've seen them on on small businesses quite often yeah yeah as you say I, i definitely think there's been a huge huge shift in people's expectations or understanding of, that they are and could be victims versus as you say trying to just tell them about they're going to get hacked and they think well i'll never get hacked or we're we'll never going to get hacked or why would anyone want to hack us or you know a, a, since the increase of the interconnected world online banking are two two massive factors that i think of, of and the, the increasing cyber crime have definitely had certainly positive positive is a strange word and you referenced paul earlier but i do you know I understand the context of it because we've certainly it stimulated people's awareness and that stimulated people then wanting to ensure to mitigate that risk so it's it's certainly raised awareness that, that you know they are they could they, they are vulnerable and they they could mitigate that risk somewhat with an insurance policy or, or and/ or your to Absolutely. And, you know,
1: one of the things that we've seen as a a more positive driver towards conducting assessments and things of that nature is the uh, the business uh, value that you can have in, in attesting to a secure environment. So a lot of customers that we deal with today um, have their vendors or suppliers or partners dictating that they're doing the right thing and a pen test or something along those lines is included. So never before have we seen the industry at a point where security can be an enabler for making more money and, and driving more revenue through.
0: Yeah, We'd we, we mirror that. We'd mirror that. So we're definitely seeing a lot of, Organizations who are looking to work with other organizations in the contracts now stipulate that there's a mandatory requirement to have a cyber liability insurance product. Just interesting. Where you you mentioned, I would probably this year we've seen more, you know, just growing that they are they, buying it because of the contract and a contract stipulation, which is which is naturally there's a there's a commercial benefit for us for that, but it's it's very interesting to see that dynamic. But people, you know, so wary now of digital risk and the damage
1: it can do. You know, sometimes I don't care how we get across the finish line. If we're getting to a more secure environment by any means, compliance is a good thing, too. A lot of people, you know, have this evil connotation about compliance and and security. Compliance doesn't equal security. And sometimes it doesn't. But I'll tell you what, I've seen compliance mandates like PCI take a company that was just very bad at security and getting them to a bare minimum standard. So, you know, same perspective with, with contractual obligations that customers have. I don't care how you get there. Let's yeah. just
0: get there. <laughs> uh, it's a positive outcome. Yeah, as you say, it's a very positive outcome. Uh, you mentioned over the time that, you, that you've um, that you been involved in pen testing. I always like um, when we speak in somebody that's so versed in this topic and, and so been, been around to see the the good, the bad and the ugly. What are some of your uh, war stories that you could share with us? Like like without naming names of course, have you got any examples of, of times where you, where perhaps people didn't think you could get in or how? Like like some some even if it's quite lighthearted, have you got anything you could share with us?
1: Uh, I do. I hate sounding like if you've ever seen Step Brothers, Derek from Step Brothers where he goes, I've got so many stories, so many stories. I don't wanna be that guy. But we do have we do have some stories. You know, there's there's some that It's certainly, I will remember for the rest of my life. That's for sure. Um, One of which, you know, we do a lot of physical security testing. um, So, a very cautious and, and very controlled exercise where we get the authorities involved and all sorts of stuff. But, uh... A few years ago I was involved in one where we uh, our goal was to attack a, a court system, a judicial system and gain access to the prosecuting attorney's office based on a very high profile case that was going down. All right. So they wanted to make sure that they were tip top in that regard. Now again, rules of engagement, we got the sheriff involved ahead of time. Everybody was, was well aware of what we were now, doing. How we were they? Doing.
0: when you when you when you reach out to the sheriff, do they go, Do they believe you? Do they think it's a scam? How do they
1: Generally, we usually arrange at least back in the day a face-to-face conversation with our stakeholders at the city, and and then bridging the sheriff together. So it's not some like, hey, yeah, here's this guy coming in and yeah, say we're gonna pent- we're gonna break into this building. I promise it's all okay. Yeah. But no, we had great. We do have great coordination. And um, oh. uh, I was I was actually I nominated myself to do this one. And I uh, my goal was to get into the prosecuting attorney's office and gain access to that individual's computer. And I'm not going to obviously name the state of the city that we were working in, but I had fake business cards created uh, that said I was an IT IT support specialist for the state of whatever, right? And it was a pretty cool looking business card. And I did some initial stakeouts and I looked at how the access control mechanisms were leveraged in there. It wasn't too fancy. I just needed somebody to let me into the area um, and that's all I did is I walked up to this like, you know, kind of security check gate and, and showed my business card and said, I'm doing a system upgrade here. I got to get into the environment. I looked the part, right? I had all, all the kind of stuff, the gear and no problem. Let me in. So I walked in and then I had to find the prosecuting attorney's office, which took me about 10, 15 minutes of loitering around basically. Then I had to wait for that individual because that individual was in their office and I had to wait for them to leave. Timed it around lunchtime. Uh, That individual left, jumped into the office, started plugging a USB device into this individual's laptop because the goal was to exfiltrate some data about this very high profile case. So it was going to take me time to find that data. So I figured let's just dump everything in like my documents, Desktop. So as I was doing that, he returned. I thought he was gone from lunch. He was not. He came back, and the look on his face when I had this some guy sitting at his desk what on his hell? computer. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was it was interesting. From there, he called a deputy over. A deputy came over, and I really didn't say too much at that time. I just wanted to see how the process would go down. The deputy placed me into custody. Didn't put me in handcuffs at that time, but but took me into custody. And as he was walking me out, I began to explain to him what I was doing there. And that I had a get out of jail free letter, literally in the back of my pocket. And that if he walked me out to the outside of the court system, that the sheriff would be waiting there and uh, would let him know what's going on. And that's exactly what happened. It was so cool, right? I got walked out. The guy was the guy had me hold, holding my hands, but I wasn't handcuffed. He was just holding me when yeah. the sheriff was there with this kind of grin on his face and
0: informed. Him. Oh, yeah.
1: I wasn't happy I got caught, but. But, you know it's it's a few times I've had that story there have been a couple other times I and other members of my team have been in handcuffs but we've that always was, had that
0: I was gonna say that's quite brave like you know you could get yourself tases. I mean it's pretty brave
1: <laughs> there's bad stories the other guys at coal fire I don't know if you know that story but the coal fire story you know uh, last year where those guys got got in some deep hot water for uh, and that was a whole bad situation that went down anyways, a lot of just inconsistencies with everything, but I felt bad for those guys. But long story short, that's one. Um, The other one that we did that's noteworthy is we were contracted to break into how do I put this? Uh, Let's just say a company who was working on some cutting edge research and development stuff. And they wanted us to see how secure the research and development facility was. It's a big company, big campus, you know? And so the research and development building was um, not really well protected. No, no fences outside of it or anything. They had cameras all over, but it was in this big campus. So they couldn't like just line it with a, you know, a, a fence of some sort. It looked intrusive. Um, long story short, I, uh, I, I, hung out in the smokers area, all right, outside the building, there was a smokers area and I, it was hard, but I, 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 was going, I'm not a smoker, but I was, I was going, working the part, feeling the part and people would come in, I, people would come out, start smoking. I'd converse with them. Well, what I didn't tell you is that two, three days beforehand, we, we did a stakeout of the lobby and on our cell phones, we managed to take pictures of people's badges, All right. And then we basically went back, we cloned those badges. Now they wouldn't do anything. It just looked like a badge. It wasn't an RFID badge, but it just looked apart. I wore that lanyard over my neck, started, you know, having conversations with the smoker and simple enough, I just piggybacked my way back in as he walked back in. So that individual walked back in, held the door open for me, gave me some like weird look like, I don't know you, you're not familiar. I held up my badge and I dropped the CIO's name. I said, I'm working with CIO, whatever, Bob Smith, and uh, just to let you know. And he with open arms, welcome me in. And and I was in the research and development facility. And then the funny part from there is I had another uh, individual working with me. So I walked from the back of the building to the front of the building where the visitor's lobby entrance was and pretended like I was an employee and just opened the door for the other guy to come in. And he came in and then we, we went through, long story short, we found the thing that they were seeking us for is this big lock box suitcase looked like it had nuclear codes in it or something. And we got it, walked out of the building, walked to the, the CIO in CISO's office, smacked that on the desk and said, there you go, and saw this astonished look on their face. So oh, that was a good one too. That was fun.
0: That's, that is a good story. And I think, yeah, it, it's, it's difficult, isn't it, for, for businesses. Like you cannot automate that. You cannot. That has to be, you guys are like the actors, and, and just blending in. It's so hard to prevent. And that's why you have all the security tests processes but unless they're tried and tested. You know, like you you know, you need someone to exploit like always the weakest link.
1: Yeah, and is- physical physical security is is I don't know, I feel somewhat of an improbable attack. If you're going to see somebody that's going to the extent of, of, of getting exposed to cameras and systems, that's, but it's still, it can happen. You want to exercise some evaluation of your physical security controls, but one digital, you know, we've got so many digital hacking stories. I mean, it's just crazy, but oh, yeah. one that we recently just did a month ago or maybe two months ago, long story short, we found a web application vulnerability on the outside that allowed us to pivot to the inside. We moved laterally. I don't even think we gained privileged access because what we ended up finding was we started looting through some email inboxes of some high value targets. Um, And oftentimes we find that people store some really sensitive, critical information in email or local workstations and Long story short, we found a uh, password document that led us to their online banking system for the organization, for the business, for this multi-billion dollar organization, oh, found out that one of their banking accounts didn't have single factor. So we just proved that we could gain access to their online banking and there was roughly, I think, 500 to $700 million in that account that we had uh, initial access to and could have done a lot of nefarious things. But that's what I'm talking about when you move into a realistic attack path, not just gaining privileged access, knowing what the bad guys are going to go after and following that path.
0: No that is crazy, and, and so interesting to hear about the, the differences be, between the two. Uh, one of the things that we've, we've seen, uh, and I'm sure probably you've seen on the, on the sort of digital pen testing side is, uh, since COVID-19, uh, we've definitely seen a spike in activity in and around themes around COVID-19 and scams. And I think that what we certainly have come to learn over the last few years is that scammers, criminals, whatever you want to call them, often follow trends, whether it's seasonal, whether it's um, kind of in the press, whether it's whatever it might be, but it's in the mind's eye of, of the person that they're trying to carnal or from institution. could be We've seen them when it's the, the tax year. Um, what have you guys or
1: what have you seen around COVID-19, if anything? Whew, we've seen a lot. Um, first of all, you're right, man. It is an opportunistic play. These, these guys are going to take advantage of whatever fear, uncertainty, and doubt variable they can capitalize on as well. Um, so with COVID comes a great opportunity for them to try to capitalize on this as an opportunistic attack. And, yeah, we've seen – We've seen quite a bit. We've seen obviously an increase. Initially we saw an increase of COVID and Corona related phishing attacks and spear phishing attacks. Uh, We saw a focus on more malicious adversary groups taking advantage of the digital transformation and the remote telecommuting and the remote workforce. You know, we're, we're running some attacks that are a little old school, um, Now, again, because of this remote workforce perspective, it's opening up a lot of risks um, that companies aren't necessarily able to respond to because they're just trying to keep the lights on, right? Companies got to make money and and they got to do that first before we can spend any money on security. So
0: I think when they're in that phase, that's when they're most vulnerable. Agreed. Because they're they're not, and they should, but they're not the top of their line of concern isn't about security. It's about staying alive, keeping the business alive, moving from one day to day that they used to work into a completely different environment. Some have been successful, some have struggled with that transition, some are more affected than others. And I just think that's, you know, the, the, we're seeing the bad guys, they just don't care. Like they, they have no remorse when it comes to whether you're a bank, hospital, care home. Uh, you know, we've we've had some really questionable events where you question the sure, you know, all sort of sincerity of these people and their 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 conscience. I mean, they they will they will pounce on anyone at, the, at their, their worst possible time. And so, I definitely think what this has done, is, as you mentioned, the, the the moving back to some old methods of pen testing because. People have reverted, in many ways, reverted back to ways they used to work or or interact. And it's, um, yeah, it's a very vulnerable time, I think, both commercially, but from a a cyber risk standpoint, it's, it's never been worse.
1: Not only do they not care, those are the best targets, like you mentioned, you know, the targets that are just trying to keep the lights on. Um, Those are what these bad guys want to go after by any means necessary. I mean, you see uh, ransomware attacks against hospitals uh, that are dealing with the peak of coronavirus. I mean, there is no moral line for these guys, right? And what I'm trying to tell those companies, Neil, is I think the same thing you're trying to do, too, is... Let's not make a bad situation that much worse. Think about what the impact would be of a real malicious attack in this state of our organization could be detrimental it could it could it could literally you know be the make or break scenario between us uh, being viable staying in business or not I hate saying it because it sounds a little fud related but there are companies that go out of business as a result of these attacks when they're not well positioned to be able and now more than ever is a precarious state so I agree with you wholeheartedly
0: Uh, uh, yeah it's it's a a very scary time and and, and people certainly to really be on their a-game to with, as leadership with their staff with their community because it, it's uh, incredibly difficult. One of the things that as, we, as we're coming up to the time uh, one of the things I always like to do with, with anyone that I have on is in your pen testing world you've seen the last 12 years, 15 years where is it going in the next five like if, if you were to think where, where we how far we've come in the last five, where do you see it in the next five years? That's a good question,
1: too. We've come a long ways in the last five years, I think, and I think we'll see some real awesome transformation in, in the next five. Here's what I think at a high level. Um, I think traditional penetration testing, I don't want to say is dead, but maybe it should be. And let, me, let me explain that. That, that strikes yeah. a lot of people by fear, but a traditional penetration test is all about, finding the risks, the advanced threats, documenting how that's done, and prescribing a report that tells you, you know, what the recommendations and remediation should be. Make no mistake, we still need to do that. But I think what organizations should expect is they should expect more from the pen test in the next five years. What they should expect is is having an organization or an entity come in that has the capability to not, not only identify those advanced, sophisticated threats, but also evaluate the effectiveness of your controls, what do I mean by that? Organizations spend a ton of money and resources in, into their investments for cybersecurity, antivirus, EDR, firewalls, IDS, SIM. Sorry, I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah. What a great opportunity for an organization to see how well those tools hold up during a pen test. And that's that's the approach that we take when we do our engagements is, you know, as we run certain attacks, we'll reach out to the customer. We'll say, hey, We just ran, you know, uh, a deserialization attack on your web app or a password spraying attack on your VPN. Were you able to see that? Could you detect that? Uh, Because your ability to find these malicious attackers early on in the kill chain and and cut them off when you can, that's instrumental. So I think overall in the next five years, you're going to see an adoption to that mentality and that methodology. Um, I also think, Neil, that – the um, as a service model will gain a little bit more traction. We're, we're building something on our own as well here at CBI, but I think we need to make it easier for the industry to conduct penetration tests and application assessments. And, and have a, a uh, centralized portal for them to be able to track and manage these things. So you're seeing the as-a-service model gain a little momentum. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's going to dominate the industry. There's, there's, um, there's advantages and disadvantages of that scenario, but certainly something I think that we'll see a little bit more of. And then, oh, I hate using buzzwords. AI, machine learning. I was going to ask you
0: about AI. <laughs> You've got to talk about it. Like-
1: Listen, I think... <laughs> five years, I don't know what what advancements we'll see in AI, all right? What I do think is you'll start to see a little bit of some value prop and, and some early AI machine learning, but we're not we're not there yet. We're not even close to there yet in regards to seeing algorithms fighting algorithms um, from a red team, blue team perspective, but make no mistake. I think in in 15, 10, 15, 20 years, uh, that's what we'll largely be dealing with is, is uh, uh, basically fighting, you know, AI against different AI and, and, and having human beings help tweak those algorithms to respond
0: to to the attack. But that's, you know, I I think you're, you're, you're you're likely right. And I think, the problem isn't going away it's certainly showing no no shift or, or, or decline it's only ramping up you know i think uh the interconnected world continues i think the power we, we did a wonderful podcast last week with a, a, a gentleman who specializes in denial of service attacks. Mm-hmm. he was explaining just the, the the weight over the last sort of 10 years or five years the, the weight that comes with the attacks now as they're able to compromise more botnets and build their army and I think you're, you're right that would certainly lead you down the, the very probable route of AI fighting AI.
1: Oh yeah and that dark scenario so yeah. true.
0: Yeah yeah, and it was also I think um, the frequency I imagine through what you were saying as well with making Pentest easier I, I could certainly see because when we see Pentest come to us they're very ad hoc once a year, once a three year, once a five year mm. whereas I think is probably looking to bring that down to once every six months, once every four, or maybe even ongoing pen testing or simulations in some way. Yeah, we've
1: got customers that do that same thing. They've got business yeah. requirements that demand more cyclical and frequent testing anywhere from monthly, quarterly, biannually. Yeah,
0: I, yeah. I think it, Yeah, we just yeah. all right. Well, look, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been fantastic. You've been a wonderful guest, very open and honest. and. Uh, yeah, we look forward to speaking
1: you more in the future. I love this opportunity. Thank you, Neil. It's a great podcast, and uh, we'll be talking again soon sometime.
0: All right, Sean. You take care. All right, you as well. You are listening to Node Chats, where we discuss all things relating to current cybersecurity trends and delve into how technology innovation is reshaping the world we live in.